Good morning, ladies. It is my honor and um, pleasure to be here this morning with you and get to share God's word together. Um, I've just been loving this study in the book of John. Um, but before we start, my name is Tanya. <laughs> For those who don't know me, um, I'm one of the community life pastors here and part of the women's team. And um, I'm just, I'm grateful and blessed to be on the staff. So um, I just want to give a couple of quick announcements. One is child care. We have child care until 11 o'clock. So if your kids are um, here on site, please make sure you leave your group on time so that you can pick up your sweet babies. And um, any offerings that you collect, thank you ladies, there's no obligation, but as you give, it helps us do these beautiful books and, um, and go towards our, our mission activities. So we just thank you for your giving in that way. So we're in the book of John and um, we're gonna be doing chapter five today. But before we start, I have a little exercise that I'd like to do with you this morning. I'm gonna put a couple of pictures up on the screen and I want you guys to tell me what's the first thing you see. Anything else? Okay, so how many people see a frog? Does anyone see a horse? <laughs> it's one of those pictures where you could see two things, right? Okay, here's the second picture. What do you see? So who sees the duck? Okay, so who sees the rabbit? And who sees both? Who sees both? Okay, great, great. Okay, that was a little simpler, right? Well, thank you for humoring me with this exercise, but I wanted to start off um, with that exercise because most of the times we see one thing, but when we take a closer look, we notice there's more to see. While reading through chapter 5 in John, two questions kept coming to mind for me. What do you see and who do you see? One of my favorite devotionals is titled God Sightings. And it's a collection of stories and scriptures pointing to God in everyday situations. The writer shares how she is seeing God in her daily life and she encourages us to have our own God sightings. So today as we read through John 5, let's look for God sightings together. But before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for just your love. <laughs> thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. Thank you for being with us and never leaving us. Thank you for helping us to see how you see. We ask you, Lord God, that the Spirit of God would just permeate this place. Holy Spirit, would you guide every aspect? When I open my mouth, would you fill it? Would you speak the words that you want spoken? 
and with your word not return void, but it will prosper into where it is sent. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy, and we just thank you for your joy, which is our strength. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So chapter 5 opens up with Jesus being in Jerusalem during a holiday feast. And this is what he sees. So we're going to start in verse 1. Now, I chose the Message Bible to read through John 5 today because it's a lot of text in John 5. It's like a long chapter. And, um, but the Message Bible is a little bit more like storytelling. So it feels a little bit more narrative, and I think it kind of works with what we're going to be reading through. And hopefully you'll be able to withstand the, the length of the text. Um, so starting in, um, with verse 1, soon another feast came around and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool, in, in Hebrew it's called Bethesda, with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, Stretched out by the pool and knew how long he'd been there, he asked him, do you want to get well? The sick man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to help me get in. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, and start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. That day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews stopped, and stopped the healed man and said, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. But he told them, the man who made me well told me to. He told me to take up my bed and start walking. They asked, who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man didn't know, for Jesus has slipped away into the crowd. I always love it when they say he slipped away into the crowd. Like, he sounds so stealthy, right? It's like Jesus, like, did his thing and he's gone. So, so Jesus saw a man in need of healing. And the Jewish leaders saw someone breaking the law. The first question is, who do you see? While I love this story and this passage so much, something has always bothered me. And it's the fact that this man had been lame, unable to walk for 38 years. 38 years, so longer than some of you have even been alive. <laughs> Actually, longer than Jesus had been alive. And for and all that time, and this place, the, the Bethesda pool, was, was a known place where people would gather who wanted healing. It would be hundreds of people there. So someone who had been there for that long would definitely be known. And this man is walking, and the first thing the Jewish leaders see is someone breaking a rule. They don't see that this man is a walking miracle. They don't see, like, I mean, if that, I would be like, what, John, how are you, you know, on your feet? How are you walking, you know? Where the, but the first thing they see is, why are you carrying that on the Sabbath? And it reminds me of a time in my life when I was a new Christ follower. It was all about the rights and wrongs for me. 
I gauged my faith in God by how well I did the right things. Reading my Bible, praying every day. I was told this is what a good Christian looks like. And so I wanted to make sure I was doing those things that looked like a good Christian. But those things weren't really tied to having a relationship with Christ. They weren't, they led me to um, comparisons and judgments and I was really critical on myself. I was trying to keep the rules more than I was trying to have a relationship with Christ. I remember judging people who would come to church in what I deemed as being inappropriate attire. Too tight, too short, too revealing. And, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to admit that I would talk about these people. I would make comments to my friends, roll my eyes, you know, have this thought like, how are you going to come up into God's house looking like that, right? But I didn't see that these vulnerable and hurt people were coming to God's house to get healed. They were looking for something, but I was looking at what they were wearing. Not seeing how God loved them, I immaturely focused on just the outer part. There's a quote that I recently came across that says, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. And I feel like that's exactly where I was at that time in my life. 1 Samuel 16, 7b says, for the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Have you ever been there? Have you ever judged someone based on what you saw on the outside? I really wanted to be a good Christian, and I didn't realize that I was only focusing on the surface. I know now that I was seeking stuff and not the Savior. I was doing what looked right, but I didn't know the righteous one. I had substituted God's spirit of love, grace, and mercy for a bunch of do's and don'ts. But learning that I can really trust and fully believe in God's love for me has been an ongoing life changer. It is, um, I'm receiving and embracing how good our Heavenly Father is and how He loves us and how He sees us even in that situation, even in that place. He still loved me. He was still wanting to see me and wanting me to see myself as He saw me. Psalms 103.10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And iniquities is when we do our own thing, when we think our own thoughts and we live our lives the way we want to. So what might God be inviting you to take a closer look at? Do you see God showing up in those broken places of life that have felt unseen or uncared about to bring you healing? What do you see and how will you respond? Let's look back at scripture. We're going to start at verse 14. A little later, Jesus found him, this is the man who he healed, in the temple and said, look, you look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to sinning, to a sinning life, or something worse might happen. The man went back and told the, Jew, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. That is why the Jews were out to get Jesus, because he did this kind of thing on the Sabbath. But Jesus defended himself. My father is working straight through, even on the Sabbath, and so am I. 
that really set them off. The Jews now not only wanted to expose him, but they were out to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his very own father, putting himself on the level of God. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing, only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, he does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything he is doing. For in the same way that the father raises the dead and creates life, so does the son. The son gives life to anyone he chooses. Neither he nor the father shuts anyone out. Neither he nor the father shuts anyone out. Everybody is, is um, accepted at this table. The father handed all authority to judge over to the son so that the son will be honored equally with the father. Anyone who dishonors the son dishonors the father for it was the father's decision to put the son in the place of honor. It's urgent that you listen carefully to this. And this is Jesus talking. So if he says it's urgent, I think it's urgent. Anyone here who believes what I'm saying right now and this is true for us today. Anyone here who believes what I'm saying right now and aligns himself with the Father, who has in fact put me in charge, has at this very moment the real lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. That's an amen, right? Um, so Jesus is talking to the very people that are trying to persecute him, trying to kill him. And he's telling them, I am the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I came to give you abundant life, and not just everlasting life, but abundant life. And if you don't believe in me, if you don't receive me, you can't know or receive the Father. Which leads me to the second question. Who do you see? As we read through these verses, who do you see? Do you see a Sabbath-breaking invalid or a walking miracle? Do you see a contemptuous Jewish elders or blind hypocrites? Do you see a rebellious rabbi or merciful Messiah? Who do you see? These are the Jewish leaders of the day. These are the ones who have studied God's word. They would know scripture best. And for healing a man on the Sabbath, they are in hot pursuit of Jesus. They want to kill him. And just a side note, Jesus did not break the Sabbath. <laughs> um, you know, Jesus, what he, he did actually, he was doing what he's commanded to do by loving his neighbor. But, um, but even more so, what he was doing, I believe, is he was challenging their overburdened misinterpretation of what the Sabbath really was. You know, they, they had put more on what God had commanded the Sabbath to be than what was true. And he was challenging that. So I've often looked at these Jewish leaders as when I read scripture, I've often saw them kind of one way, one dimensional. And I don't know if you've ever saw someone and just saw one thing about them. 
seen people in your life as just one thing, maybe as the one who hurt you, or maybe the person that you can't trust. Well, that's how I saw these Jewish leaders. And as I was reading through these passages, something became, I saw, I saw them in a different light. I think I saw them more how Jesus saw them. And even though they didn't recognize Jesus, and they persecuted Jesus, and they actually ultimately uh, were part of the team that killed Jesus, Jesus loved them. Jesus had love for them. And as we go through these, these verses, these scriptures, what stood out to me is that he is patiently, lovingly, mercifully speaking truth to them. He doesn't need to spend this time defending himself to them. He knows who he is. He knows who sent him. But he wants them to know. He wants them to see. And what they don't realize, and it's probably their biggest problem, they don't know who he is because they never knew the Father. They never knew who God was. So who do you see? Just like we saw him reveal himself to the woman at the well, and earlier when he healed the man who had been an invalid for 38 years, he is now offering these Jewish leaders an opportunity to know him and to be healed. If I'm truthful, I actually have more in common with these Jewish leaders than I want to admit. Where I've looked at them and I thought, how could they not believe Jesus? You know, we're, we're looking at things with 2020 vision when we read now, right? But if I'm honest, I've walked in those very shoes myself. Have you ever missed seeing Jesus in situations or in people because you've taken that one-dimensional approach to rela in relating to others? This made me think of someone like an Araminta Ross. And you might know her more by the name of Harriet Tubman. She was probably seen as one-dimensional. Whether it was because she was born a slave or just because she was a woman, a black woman, um, or because she was uneducated, she was most likely seen as just one thing. But that's not how God saw her. And that's not how she saw herself. Despite all that she had used, all that she had been through, God used her to lead dozens of people to freedom um, and she even served as a spy during the Civil War. So who do you see? Do you see what God sees? When you see yourself, do you see yourself the way he sees you? Or are you still seeing yourself before he transformed your life? Honestly, I still struggle with that. Even in doing this talk today, I was relating to myself of how I've been in the past. You can't do that. That's not you. But that's not what God says about me. So the truth is, because we are his, and he says we are who he says we are, we can trust him. So, um, I'm sorry. Because the truth is we are who he says we are, and this is what Jesus is telling the Jewish leaders here. He's telling them, you need to see me like the Father sees me. 
That's the key. It's not just because Jesus is telling them this. He's pointing them to what the Father has done and what the Father and how the Father sees him to help walk them through this. Let's look at verses back in Scripture, verses 30 um, through 40. So Jesus is continuing to convince them of who he is. Verse 30 starts out this way. I can't do a solitary thing on my own. This is Jesus talking, still the same conversation. I listen, then I decide. You can trust my decision because I'm not out to get my own way, but only to carry out orders. If I were simply speaking on my own account, it would be empty and self-serving witness. But an independent witness confirms me, the most reliable witness of all. Furthermore, you, you all saw and heard John, and he gave expert, reliable testimony about me, didn't he? But my purpose is not to get your vote and not to appeal to mere human testimony. I'm speaking to you this way so that you will be saved. John was a torch blazing and bright, and the John he's referring to here is not the John who wrote the book of John, but John the Baptist. John the Baptist preceded Jesus. He pointed to Jesus. And you were glad enough to dance in that light for an hour or so. But the witness that really confirms me far exceeds John's witness. It's the work the Father gave me to complete. These very tasks, as I go about completing them, confirm the Father, in fact, has sent me. So he's saying, you, can, you don't have to judge me by what I'm saying. You can judge it by the fruit that you see coming out of my life. This is because of the Father. The Father who sent me confirmed me, and you missed it. You never heard his voice. You never saw his appearance. There's nothing left in memory of his message because you did not take the messenger seriously. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly, and you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the very life you say you want. His love for them is so compelling in these scriptures to me. As I, as I read it, I see how he is like taking these, these painful steps to reveal himself to them plainly. That he is sent by the Father and he's been confirmed by the Father. These are very studied men. They would have studied the Torah. They, they were not, un, you know, didn't know about God's word. But for all their study, they did not know God. They missed seeing God. And Jesus is giving them this opportunity to see who he truly is, but they just could not see or would not see. I want to share a story I read recently in a book um, written by Henry Nouwen that I think relates to this, um, kind of puts this in a little light here. Uh, the story starts off this way. One day, a young fugitive, trying to hide himself from the enemy, entered a small village. The people were kind to him and offered him a place to stay. But when the soldiers who sought the fugitive asked where he was hiding, everyone became very fearful. 
The soldiers threatened to burn the village and kill every man in it unless the young man was handed over before dawn. The people went to, min to the minister of the village and asked him, what, sh what should we do? The minister torn between handing over the boy to the enemy or having his people killed withdrew to his room to read his Bible, hoping to find an answer before dawn. After many hours in the early morning, the minister's eyes finally fell on these words. It is better that one man dies than the whole people be lost. Then the minister closed the Bible, called the soldiers, and told them where the boy was hidden. After the soldiers led the fugitive away to be killed, there was a feast in the village. There was a feast because the minister had saved the lives of the people. But the minister didn't celebrate. Overcome with a deep sadness, he remained in his room. That night, an angel came to him and asked, what have you done? He said, I handed over the fugitive to the enemy. Then the angel said, but don't you know that you had handed over the Messiah? How could I know, the minister replied anxiously. Then the angel said this, if instead of just reading your Bible, you had visited this young man just once and looked into his eyes, you would have known. Of course, reading our Bibles is important, but will you take that next step a closer look by asking God? How might he be inviting you to see himself today? How is he inviting you to see yourself today? I'd like to take a couple of moments to be quiet before the Lord and just to allow him to speak to our hearts about how we see him and maybe show us what's on his heart. And then we'll pray. Can we close our eyes and bow our heads? So how is the Lord asking you to see himself today? How might he be inviting you to see yourself differently today? Will you see yourself through his eyes? How might, be, how might he be inviting you to see others through his eyes and not as one-dimensional? Or might he be offering you help to let go of comparisons and judgments about yourself and about others? Father God, thank you. <laughs> thank you that you love us so much that you don't want to see any of us miss you, Lord God. Thank you that your heart is towards us. You see us even better than we see ourselves. Would you help us today? Help us to give you those areas of our hearts, of our mind, of our thought life, 
that has come against your word, has been contrary to what your word says about us. Thank you, Lord God, for seeing us and helping us to see ourselves and others in our lives the way you see them. Thank you, Lord God, that your word tells us exactly who we are, and we are who you say we are. Your word says that we're beloved. Your word says that we are more than conquerors. Your, your word says that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So I thank you, Father God, that we would find our identity in your word, but we would even take it a step further and hear it from you, from you directly, Lord. Would you guide us? Would you be with us? The hope that we have is your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>